if you've been here in the last few weeks, um, you know that I've been encouraging you every week to share your whole selves with the people in your life. Um, in particular, I've been encouraging you not to be afraid to, when I say share your whole selves, share that part of your life that sometimes can be even more difficult, and that's the part of your life that's connected to faith, or that part of your life um, that trusts Jesus, or that is trying to live a different way because of an experience you had with God. And you may have noticed that each week I'm giving you all these terrific reasons why if you do this, you can build a deeper relationship with people. Uh, the truth is that uh, we're only as close to people as we are vulnerable. And so if there's parts of our lives that we cut off from people, um, that makes it difficult uh, to build trust because uh, we're not vulnerable in those areas. And that is just true about anything in any of our relationships. And I've been saying, hey, if you do this, you have the opportunity to build some real depth into your relationships and to get to know people at a different type of level. And so basically for the last three weeks, I think I've been pitching this as a lifestyle, as a thing that can uh, benefit you and the people around you, that the whole world would be better if we were, had people that we were just open with about uh, our true selves. But you may have also noticed that in some of the stories we looked at, people always weren't super excited when people were open about their whole lives, particularly about the parts that connected to Jesus. So last week we looked at a man who was healed of, of blindness, who gets called in front of this very powerful religious body, um, and they end up throwing him out on his ear and calling him names uh, because he says it's Jesus that healed him. So the Jesus part of his story is a part that got him in trouble. And so this week, I want to talk about that. I want to say again that I think the vast majority of the time, it's such a great benefit to share who we are with people, to let them in, to let them see who we are, a benefit to us, a benefit to them, a way to build deep relationships. But there are times, and you know this in the relationships that you have, when you're vulnerable about something in your life, and it gets turned back against you, or the person responds negatively, or gets shut down, and you know that doesn't feel good, Right? So this week, I want to talk about how do we handle that? If I'm encouraging you to be open about who you are and everything in your life, um, what happens when people don't respond well? And so I want to have a real conversation about that, and I think this can be really helpful. And part of the reason we're having this conversation this week is because when something happens that's hurtful to you, when you're open about something in your life, or when someone comes back at you with something that might be more like a hit uh, than it is an open reception of who you are, we tend to have very similar reactions. Our gut responses are one of three things typically. One response we can have, I'm calling this, we trump people who respond negatively to us. Now, what does this mean? Now, I'm not getting political here, <laughs> but uh, what does it mean to trump someone? Well, a few weeks ago, uh, Donald Trump got in a, a little hot water because he retweeted uh, negative, uh, unflattering photos of the wife of one of his competitors for the nomination of his party. And when he was asked, why did you do that? Uh, his answer was, he started it. Do you remember that? Um, and then just a week and a half ago, he had sort of a reconciliation uh, interview with Megyn Kelly, who's a broadcaster on Fox News, who they had a little bit of a feud going, apparently, and she asked him about some of these things, too. Why did you retweet that? Why did you say this about this person? Um, and he said this, when I'm wounded, I go after people hard. I respond, he says. 
And he says, maybe I respond 10 times stronger than the initial thing that I experienced. This is known in scientific circles as the fight response to a threat. When you're threatened, when you're hit, you hit back. You fight. Another common response that we have to these types of things, I'm calling the Facebook or the Tinder response. Now, now things have changed, right? Um, We don't, for example, we don't live around people like we used to or even like people did before I was on this earth. You know, there was a time when people tended to stay on the same block that they grew up on their entire lives. We have a neighbor, Mrs. King, sweet lady. She is late 90s, pushing 100. She has lived on our block every year of her life except for one. She got married. She moved around the corner. Didn't like it. (laughs) Made her husband move back on the block, okay? She's lived in a couple different houses on the block, but always on our block. Amazing woman. That's the way things used to be. In 1932, the University of Pennsylvania did a study. They took 5,000 just in a row uh, marriage licenses to see where people were from and how they were getting together. And they found this. One-third of the married couples married someone who lived within a five-block radius of them. One out of every six lived on the same block. And one out of eight, one out of eight lived in the same building. And only 18% of those 5,000 marriage certificates were granted to people who were from different cities. Has that been your experience? You know, in former days, it was hard to get away from people. If you didn't like them, you had to learn how to deal with them for the most part. You didn't have to move in with them in the same house, but you had to tolerate them. You had to figure things out. Well, now it's easy to get away from people. You know, if you don't agree with my Facebook post, I can block you. I put something out there. You say something I don't like, you're blocked. I can even unfriend you. I can distance myself. I can write you off. This wouldn't apply to me because I'm married, but now we make these snap decisions, right? Based on very little information before we write someone off. I see your face and a few details, and I can easily swipe left, right? Things have changed. We're in a culture now where if we're hurt, if we're displeased, we can easily distance ourselves from just about anyone. We can write them off. And in scientific terms, they refer to that as the flight response to a threat. There's fight, there's flight, and then there's a third thing we do, and this is we possum people. We opossum people. (laughs) Have any of you run into any of these lovely creatures in West Philadelphia? (laughs) Or anywhere else in Philadelphia, really? I thought when I moved from Mount Vernon, Illinois, to a big city, I would not have to deal with things like this. But actually, I never saw one of these kitty cats... Uh, before I moved to the city. And the thing about them, there's much, they're always much bigger than you expect them to be, at least in your mind's eye when you see them, and a little bit scarier. They look like giant rats. But the truth is, these little cuddly creatures <laughs> are so much more afraid of you than you are of them. In fact, does anyone know what they do when they feel threatened? They roll up in a ball, they play dead right? They freeze. In fact, I have a friend who lived on Hamilton in West Philly, and he had two dogs, and they would catch 
possums and bring them to him in his living room. And they're like, Dad, look at this thing I caught and killed for you. And Dad knew that thing is not dead. And so he'd have to somehow get a shovel or whatever and carry it back out into safety and let it go free because they play dead. And that's often what we do when we're hurt in relationships too. We just freeze up. We just don't engage anymore. All right, fine. You're, you, I'm not going to go there with you. I'm not going to let you in anymore. We shut down. And scientists call this the freeze response. We play dead. And all of these responses, they're defense mechanisms. They're what we do when we feel threatened or when we feel like we've been hurt so that we're no longer threatened or we won't be hurt again. And they're all understandable. And I'm not saying that there aren't situations where some of them might be appropriate, but in general, they never lead ever to a deeper sense of connection or a deeper sense of relationship. And if that's what we're really after in our lives, and I surveyed people all last summer, and they told me they really want deep connection, but they also told me nobody had it. We have to get over this. We have to find another way to connect to people or to deal with disappointment and hurt and pain besides fighting back, running away, or shutting down. So is there another way? Is there another way when you're open about who you are? And you're telling the story about your life, and faith is part of it, and that's the thing that triggers someone. It may not even be your fault. It just may be something in their past. And they shut, shout back at you or cut back at you with a comment that you didn't expect. Things shut down. How can you respond? Is there a way forward? Is there a way things can be better? Or do you just have to give up? Now, there wouldn't be a sermon if we were just giving up. So let's read this passage. I think there's a lot we can learn from it. This is a really interesting story. This is uh, Acts chapter 16. This is the story of the earliest followers of Jesus. They're often called the disciples or the apostles. Um, And we'll see what happens here with uh, two of them, Paul and Silas. So once, when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. And she earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God, who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the Spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you, come out of her. At that moment, the Spirit left her. And when her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. And they brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. And, they, and after they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. And when he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up. And when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We're all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? 
And they replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you'll be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all the others in the house. And at that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. And then immediately he and all his household were baptized. And the jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he'd come to believe in God, he and his whole household. And when it was daylight, the magistrates sent their officers to the jailer with the order, Release those men. And the jailer told Paul, The magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. Now you can leave. Go in peace. But Paul said to the officers, They beat us publicly and without a trial, even though we're Roman citizens, and threw us into prison. And now, do they want to get rid of us quietly? No. Let them come themselves and escort us out. And the officers reported this to the magistrates. And when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they were alarmed. They came to appease them and escorted them from the prison, requesting them to leave the city. And after Paul and Silas came out of the prison, they went to Lydia's house, where they met with the believers and encouraged them. Then they left. So that's a pretty crazy story. There's a lot of things going on in there. We probably won't get to all of them. But there's one thing I like to point out first because I think it, ma- it makes a difference in the context or in the situations we're talking about today. And that is this, that how something is said is just as important as what is said. How something is said is just as important as what is said. Maybe you guys have experienced this, but in verse 16 it says, uh, once we we're on our way to the place of prayer, We were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future, and she earned a great deal of money. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High who are telling you the way to be saved. So she kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you, come out of her. The spirit left her. Now, you might think, I would assume that it would be to the advantage of Paul and Silas to have a local person, someone with some uh, some spiritual street cred, telling the people around them to listen to them, to say, hey, look, these guys know what they're talking about. But it says in this passage that Paul was not amused. In fact, it says he was annoyed. And there's something spiritually dark actually happening here. Now, to understand this, I think it's helpful to understand the way that she's described. She's described as having a spirit by which she predicted the future. But if you translate that very literally, um, she's said to have the spirit of the python. And they just said the spirit of the python, no one would know what they're talking about. So they do a little interpretation when they translate that. And the, the spirit of the python was a reference to the god Apollo and his oracle at Delphi, who always had with him um, a python. And he would tell the future. And the way he would do it is he would go into sort of a mantic trance where he would start uttering things uncontrollably. And then he would start talking about the future. It was a very dramatic experience, to say the least. So when people in the rest of the world had these sort of manifestations or these outward appearances of uh, manic, uh, loud, uh, abrupt pronunciations prophecies, whatever they do, and they would say that person had the spirit of the python. So it's safe to assume that as they're going along, um, that this young woman isn't just sort of shouting, but that she's mantically shouting, screaming. It's a scene every time uh, she says, these men are telling you the way that you can be saved. They have the message of salvation. 
So she's saying true things, but in a way that would turn people off and drive them away from Paul and Silas. Just boldly shouting your opinion at someone, even if you're right, isn't very helpful. It isn't effective, and it can be destructive. So Paul drives the Spirit out of her by the, Spirit of the, by the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, we're talking in this series about endeavoring to share our whole lives by telling our story. But how we tell our story is important. If someone doesn't respond well to our vulnerability, it may be that we're to blame because of the way we shared things. So just because as we talk and we move on here, uh, we're talking about how to respond if someone doesn't respond very well to something that's deep and important to you, uh, doesn't mean that fault is in their corner necessarily. Gentleness and respect are important ingredients as we build deeper relationship. That's how it happens. And I think if you just stick to simply and humbly telling your own experience, most people, if not everyone, will be totally cool with that and probably appreciative. And they'll probably feel like they know you better. But occasionally, you take a risk to be open and the person shuts you down. And you'll know this because you immediately feel a little pain. And you'll be tempted to hit back or run away or just simply disengage. But there's another and a better way. And that's what we're seeing here. So I said, how to respond to haters with active love. That's what we're talking about. You know, if, spoiler alert, every story you hear in the Bible practically, especially if it involves Jesus, the answer is almost always active love. Um, And so we're going to see that again here. How can we respond? Well, first, I think it's helpful to avoid putting others down. It says they brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and they're throwing our city into an uproar by abdicating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. You know, the easiest way to kill a potentially life-giving conversation or relationship is to other the other person. And by that, I mean to look down on them. If we dismiss people, we don't have to take them seriously. That's what's happening here. The people of Philippi, they're very proud of their heritage. Philippi was a special city. There were lots of cities in the Roman Empire. Not all of them were considered Roman cities. You could be a Roman city, but be in another province, not actually be in Italy. You could be somewhere else in the world. And that was Philippi. They were considered a Roman city. That meant that they didn't have to pay certain taxes. They had a certain status in the world that other cities and other people from other cities didn't have. They were proud of that. And you'll notice that the charge was that Paul and Silas were Jews. They're not Philippians. They're Jews. There's something to that. There's a little edge to that. They looked different. They had different religious practices and customs that, and notice how they put it, us Romans do not accept or practice. And we do this all the time. Sometimes we're aware of it. Sometimes we're not. Someone or some group doesn't live in a way that we understand or a way that we value. Maybe their practices even offend us, and so we ridicule them. You know, maybe their lifestyle choices seem too liberal or seem too conservative for us. Maybe their clothes or their appearance or the music they listen to we don't get or we don't approve of. Maybe it's the way they talk. Maybe it's our perception of their political beliefs. I have to be very careful because I made Trump an example of 
an active, aggressive, fighting response to something, which I think is accurate, but I'm not up here trying to make fun of him. He's just in the news. It's hard to do this. It's hard sometimes to cast vision for who you want to be without putting someone else down. That's a challenge. Whatever it is, we can end up, though, labeling certain people as immoral or regressive. And then we don't have to listen to them anymore. We can just lob our truths at each other and ignore and discount the responses. After all, we're the Romans. We're the enlightened. We're the saved. We're the progressive, whatever it is. And when we feel rejected or marginalized or discounted or attacked, this is so much easier to do than responding in some sort of active, loving way. We may even feel justified. But once we put ourselves above those around us, dialogue, relationship, any deeper level of connection is no longer possible. But aggression is still very possible. So when we're open with our whole selves and we get shut down or ridiculed, it's natural to want to take a defensive position, to hit back. But when we do, we undercut the opportunity to build a healthy relationship. Even if we disagree, there's a better way. And we can see one right here in this passage. We can look for opportunities to be a good friend, to continue to love someone actively, to do something to bless them. Here's where you see this. And I, don't know, I don't know about you, but if I'd been beaten up and thrown in jail and there was a miraculous earthquake and my chains fell off like in all the songs and the stocks came off of my feet and the doors popped open, what do you think the first thing is I'm going to do? <laughs> Hallelujah. It's a miracle. I am out of here. I'm grabbing Silas or Paul and we are jetting. We're getting out of jail, right? That's the first thing I'm going to do. That is not what Paul and Silas do. They stay. Why didn't they just run for the hills? I mean, there was a miracle that set them free. Surely that means it's time to go. But it says in verse 27, the jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself. Because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourselves. We're all here. They were aware. Paying attention. Looking for what God was actually doing. Asking questions. They were aware of the jailer and his actions. And they were able to stop him before he harmed himself. They weren't just self-focused. This is kind of, I think, Jesus 101. Look for a way to bless the person who's attacked you, who you would be tempted to see as your enemy. Turn the other cheek. We've heard that one before, right? Turn the other cheek. Look for ways to be a good friend, a good neighbor, even to the jailer who has you locked up for no good reason. This is the opposite of turning and running. This is engaging. It's choosing to love. It's active love. The only thing that's powerful enough to keep us from giving people the same thing that they've given us. 
or to keep us from writing them off. Now, the thing about it, though, is this approach also leaves us open to get hurt again. That's what turning the other cheek does, right? You get slapped on one cheek, you turn the other cheek. What could happen next? You could get slapped again. And so to live this way, and this is something I don't think we're often looking for or hoping for, but to do it, we have to be open to what I'm calling here to suffer well. What do I mean by that? Well, there's a lot of communication happening in this passage, but some of it is nonverbal. It's not what's said. You can see the conversations that people's lives have with the people around them. So in verse 22, it says, The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. And after they'd been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. And when he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. So their feet out in front of them, they've got these, there's one board here and it's clapped over and they can't move. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening to them. That's maybe the most amazing thing in this passage. Not the crazy earthquake, not the driving of the unclean spirit out of the slave girl. Maybe the most amazing thing is that here are Paul and Silas beat up, locked up, You would expect them to be angry, despairing, maybe upset, particularly with God, right? He's supposed to have their back. But here they are, and they're worshiping God out loud in ways that everyone can hear. Now, I can't say for sure I know what's going on in their head, but I think there's something to the story of Jesus that flips or can flip the perspective that we have on the world around us. The story of Jesus is a story that you can do everything right and end up on a cross. And the hope in the story of Jesus is not that you will be spared pain and suffering, but that God will flip suffering and pain and sin on its ear and redeem it and make something beautiful out of it in the end will resurrect death in your life and bring new life and renewal. So their God suffered for them in a similar way. And they don't expect a comfortable or pain-free life. They trust that God uses everything and that redemption is a real expected outcome. So in other words, their worldview is not collapsing because things don't appear to be working out the way that they had hoped or expected. And this, I think, is a great advantage that's available to those who choose to follow Jesus. Followers of Jesus understand that their suffering is part of the journey. Our God suffered. But we also see the redemption and resurrection on the other side of suffering so we can celebrate even in hard, difficult, and painful times. This is not a shiny, happy people moment or type of celebration. And what we see at the end of the passage is that Paul and Silas are very aware that they're being unjustly treated. And they're even willing to stand up to that. But they have this proven hope in Jesus and this experience with him. That's part of their story. His story is part of their story. So even in the middle of rejection, even in the middle of ridicule, 
those with the example and experience of Christ can turn the other cheek and look for ways to be good friends, to love those around them, to look out for them in spite of the pain. Now notice this doesn't mean just accepting suffering and lying down and getting walked over. This isn't freezing. This isn't opossum tactics. In verse 37, it says, But Paul said to the officers, They beat us publicly without trial, even though we're Roman citizens, and threw us into prison, and now they want to get rid of us quietly. No. There's an exclamation point. That's probably an interpretive little thing there, but no exclamation point. Let them come themselves and escort us out. Turning the other cheek doesn't mean you have no boundaries. Turning the other cheek doesn't mean you go back to an abusive situation. But suffering well does mean not being a pushover or letting go of a call to justice. See, evil, injustice will try to dominate any situation. And sometimes it has to be shown for what it is. And suffering well points the finger back at injustice. It points out the evil in society and by doing so demands something different. Turning the other cheek isn't just a loving second chance. If you strike someone who turns the other cheek, it says something about you and it shows something to everyone who sees it. It calls out injustice for what it is. It calls out oppression for what it is. And sometimes the one thing that can bring conviction to someone that can lead to change is suffering well. And that's something Paul and Silas do remarkably well in this passage. But it's not a story of a possum or freezing. Finally, if we want to respond with active love, it's helpful to keep telling your story. You get shut down on your story, Oh man, I would, you know, this thing happened in my life and I was really stuck. And this Jesus thing I tried blew my mind, made all the difference. Dude, that is so stupid. Who are you? You're an idiot. First of all, that's usually not going to happen, especially if it's your friend, right? But if it does, you know, don't let it shrink your, you know, I, this is going to date me. I don't know why this popping in my head, but there's this game in the 80s called Pac-Man. It's a little yellow guy, went around here, ate little dots. It was really intense. <laughs> when, he, when he hit a ghost, that was the bad guys under a ghost, he would just go boop, 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 and disappear. He would just shrink back and melt. Don't let your, your, your story is your story. Don't be Pac-Man. Eat a power pellet. No, I don't know. Gosh. All right, Google it. Google Pac-Man, Google power pellet. <laughs> Keep telling your story. After all the trouble they get into, Paul and Silas keep telling their story. Verse 31, they replied, this is after all the prison stuff. Believe in the Lord Jesus, you'll be saved, you and your whole household. That's their story. They're still taking chances with their story. They could get in more trouble, but God uses it. This, I think, is a better picture of boldness than the shouting and interrupting that the oppressed girl did at the beginning of the story. This is confidence, confidence in what they believe that can be expressed 
when input is invited by those around them. You know, it's been thought through, it's been reasoned through. They know their story, and they're not letting go of it. And my question to you is, can you speak with confidence? Are you aware of what God's doing in your life, big and small? Are you talking about it with people in a way that takes it into your heart so you don't just brush over it and forget about it? That's where confidence comes from, when it's internalized. You know, some of you, you've had some negative experiences all around the area of being open about your life when it comes to things of faith. Uh, Maybe you're pressured to be open in ways that seem disingenuous and left you just feeling guilty all over the place. Um, You don't want to lose your story. And there's a lot of people in this room that can relate to you. I would just encourage you to, that's something worth processing through and praying with someone about. Inviting the Holy Spirit in to, to actually bring some healing into your life. And if you're hearing that, you, you know what I'm talking about. You've experienced it. I would encourage you, even, even this morning we have a prayer time. Let someone pray for you. Be open. Part of your story now is some of your negative experiences around being open about faith in your life. The healing comes in being open. Isn't that terrible? The one thing that got you hurt is the thing you got to do to get better. Pray about that. And for others of you, man, it's just time to practice. One of the dreams that we have as a community is that the stories of God would be so a part of who we are, shared so frequently and effortlessly and naturally in our relationships in this room and even beyond, that that's just who we are. We're so aware of what God's doing. If we can become that kind of community, when we're at our lowest point, it's so good to hear, hey, God is actually active somewhere else. And when you're in that moment where you realize that God is at work in your life, sharing it gives you that 15 seconds we talked about for good things to actually get into your heart. We need this. We need this. So here's what I want you to do. Uh, Twice during this series, I've I've given you like a couple minutes to think about what God was doing in your life, how he was active, and to write it down. So most of you here already just have a little bit of story. It could be a small thing, a big thing. I've gotten emails from you. I've heard some of these stories. Here's, what I, here's my task for you this week. This week, ask someone in this room. This is low-hanging fruit. Ask someone in this room, what's your story? What did you write on your bulletin? What did you think about? Where did you see God at work? And then tell yours. That's it. Practice. Make it easy on yourself. Choose someone in this room or your small group. Who knows that you're trying to do this? Oh, she's doing that thing Brad made her do. Okay, cool. I'll tell her my story. This is like, I took the low-hanging fruit and I like, like pulled the branch down. I just made it even lower. Ask, share again and again and again. And we're going to do that as a community. You know, during this series, I've invited certain people who've emailed me. Oh yeah, this is the thing I was thinking about to share some of the things. So I'm going to add a third thing. Ask share and send. And the send is send me. Copy me. Let me know what God's doing. And, you know, if it's appropriate and you're up for it, I, you know, you may just want to tell me and I'll be encouraged, but I want, to, I want our church to hear these stories too. 